Amen. Good morning. How are we doing? Everybody good? Yeah, good. I'm glad. I am doing well. Thank you again for uh, just your patience this morning, your grace this morning. Uh, clearly, as you can hear, I'm still dealing with all the, the fun allergy stuff with the changes of temperature. Um, I got to be honest with you guys. I thought by moving down to Brandon, Florida, Tampa, Florida area that I wouldn't deal with the hot to cold, the hot to cold, the hot to cold. But here we are living the dream. And so, uh, man, I tell you, I'm thankful for the cold weather. I'm just not thankful for what it does to my allergies. So um, you see water here today. I'm going to try not to, to cough all over you today and try to stay hydrated as I need it. I know some of you have been concerned about me for the past couple of weeks uh, with that. They're like, Pastor, just please take some water up there with you. Um, so here we are today doing that. So we're going to see how far we get uh, this morning in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm hoping to get through verses 12 through 21 this morning. But if my voice gives out at verse 15... By the grace of God, that's where we're going to stop, okay? So uh, we'll see um, how this goes this morning. So again, I just want to thank you guys for being here and being with us, and thank you for your patience and your grace um, just this week, uh, which is so much happening in the life of our church. Well, again, we are still in our series uh, called Joyful Unity, um, still in Paul's letter to the church at uh, Philippi. And so if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be, Paul writing to uh, the Philippians. And man, I got to tell you, I've, I've got to say that this has just been a really interesting season um, in the life of our church and uh, one that was unique, one that I didn't anticipate or didn't expect uh, because man, when I really started to study this series, uh, really what I'd hope to see with this series is to see our church really begin to unify um, just around the word of God and see people work through uh, together some of the things I needed to work through. And uh, man, what ended up happening was a season that started out as uh, what I'd hoped was a season of unification ended up turning to more of a season or a series of sifting. And so um, that's what we've uh, been going through together. So um, having said that, man, I got to tell you, it's um, it's been unique and been really interesting, honestly, uh, just over the past few weeks, the past few months to uh, just talk to other pastors, to hear from other pastors, to hear uh, what the Lord is doing in the life of other churches. And I'd called several brothers and just uh, chatted with them to share with them, hopefully to hear uh, just an encouraging word from them. And what ended up happening was, uh, man, I just heard different brothers talk about their churches and and honestly talk about some of the division that was being created in their church and, and hear stories about how they felt like other people in their church were now beginning to speak lies about their leadership and being divisive towards their leadership. And um, I even had one pastor, uh, a friend of mine, tell me about how he had watched so many in his church really just leave the church for no biblical reason. And I listened to these stories and I was like, man, I... You know, thanks be to God for who the Lord has brought to us, but at the same time, I realized that, man, we're not, we're not immune to this issue, okay? Man, I, I thought, I thought some of the things that I was hearing was something that would never happen to, to our church, but to be quite honest with you, man, I think this is also an, an us issue as well, if we're not careful with what we're doing and what it is that we're saying and, and what's happening. And so what I quickly realized in, in speaking with all these brothers is I quickly realized that, this was really a Western church issue. 
I mean, it really is when you begin to think about it. And so uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about, when I studied this passage this week in Philippians chapter 3, verses uh, 12 through 21, uh, I quickly realized that once you get beyond verses 12 through 14, which is the, the passage that everybody seems to know, and you'll see what I'm talking about uh, once we get a little further into our text this morning, um, I read even further than that in the verses 15 through 21, and I realized, man, this, this really is convicting when you read it. I mean, Paul, Paul kind of hit us with a gut check last week with some of the word choices he used, but then all of a sudden we walk into Philippians 3, 12 through 21, and all of a sudden it just, it just feels like you're in a boxing match and you're just completely outmatched. I mean, I just felt as I'm reading this text, I was constantly getting hit over and over and over again by what it was that Paul was teaching the church at Philippi. And so I said to myself this week as I'm preparing the sermon, I was like, man, this is, this is convicting. And so as I'm walking through this week, I have several folks who, who call, and you know who you are. You call ahead of time, and you're like, hey, pastor, I want to let you know I'm praying for you, love you, looking forward to hearing how the Word of God is going to speak through you, and how can I be praying for you? And I had several folks, not only a part of our church, but other people who check in, and I said, man, i got to tell you guys something. This passage this week is really convicting. Like, I think this passage is going to convict uh, not only myself, but also people in our congregation. And so I told several folks that, and I want to tell you, man, they all said the same thing to me. They told me, they said, pastor, whatever you do, don't tell your people that. Don't tell your people that you're about to preach a message that's going to, that's going to convict them. And I asked them, I said, why? And they said this, they said, because their pride is going to fight you on it. Their pride is going to fight you on it. And I thought about that for a second because I got, I kind of got confused and I thought about it in terms of my own life. And, And this is what I came to. I was like, you know what? They're probably right. And here's why. Because let me tell you what happens in my home. When my wife comes up to me and says, Johnny, I just read a great book. You need to read it. Guess what I'm not doing? Reading the book. You know why? Because she told me it was good. My wife is watching Hallmark Christmas and she says to me, Johnny, you need to watch this movie with us. It's incredible. You're going to love it. I sit down to watch the movie and you know what thought is running through my head? Not Jingle Bells and Christmas cookies. I'm sitting there going, I'm going to find a way to hate this movie. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that happened to me a few years ago. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit this now because I've come to grips with it. A few years ago, my family said this about a Hallmark Christmas movie. And I said, there is no way on God's green earth am I ever going to enjoy a Hallmark Christmas movie. It is not going to happen. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that movie made me laugh. It made me smile and it brought me to tears. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the first thing I did, I bought that movie on DVD. I'm serious. But you see, that's what we do. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this is not a me issue, okay? Because honestly, it works the other way as well. With my own wife, there's been about eight books and about uh, six movies that I've recommended to her over the past four or five years. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you today, by the grace of God, she's not read a single one of them. Why? Because I said it was good. You see, that's what we do as a society as well. When people tell us that something is good, when they tell us that something is great, even when they tell us when something is bad, What do we want to do? We want to find out for ourselves. And so when people tell us, hey, man, this word of God, this passage, this is going to be convicting for us. What's the first thing we do? Out of our own pride, we say, no way. This is not going to convict me today. And I want to ask you a question if that's you. My question is this, really? Have we as Christians, not as a society, 
We can answer this question for society already, but have we as Christians become so prideful that we no longer allow the word of God to convict us? You see, I want to tell you this morning in our text today that Paul was actually seeing that very same thing. You see, the church, the church at Philippi, the place where Paul had proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, a church in which Paul left in good standing, a church that was now growing by the grace of God, was now in turmoil due to the false teachers and the liars who were now coming into the church and swaying the people to now follow extra biblical criteria or criteria, or to come in and follow a gospel that was now false. I mean, think about that in terms of the Western church right now. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, if it doesn't, it really should. I mean, let me unpack what I'm talking about for a second. You see, we are now seeing too many people in Western society, particularly Western Christians, beginning to create their own version of Christianity. In fact, there are too many people who claim to be Christians who are now creating and defining their own version of the church. And the problem is this, their definitions of Christianity and their definition of the church is a version that doesn't take into account what the word of God says about Christianity and the church. These people are so prideful that in the midst of their pride, they do not care who they hurt in the process of making sure their version of church is defined the way they want it to be. Man, I got to tell you personally, my soul has been grieved, probably grieved more over this past month for our church and for churches in the United States than any other time that I can remember. Why? Because like every other church in America, we are not immune to this problem. You see, there are people who are gossiping in our churches today. There are people who are lying about their leadership and they're in our churches today. There are people that are trying to take others away from serving within the church. And they are also within our churches today. And sadly, too many of us are giving them an ear and too many of us are following them. It's almost like we're living a new chapter of the book, The Screwtape Letters. Have you all read that book? book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. If you have not, you really should. If you have, may I encourage you to reread that book? You see, here's the reality that I've come to this morning as I think about the Western church and, and many of the conversations with the dear brothers that I've had this week. I quickly realized in the midst of the conversations, I realized that Satan doesn't need to bring persecution to the Western church. In fact, I found myself in a conversation earlier this week saying to another pastor, man, I, I really pray that God would bring persecution to the Western church because at least we'll know who the Christians are at that point. But then I realized that, man, Satan doesn't need to do that in the Western church. Why? Because we're doing a good enough job of shooting our own. Satan doesn't need to help us with that. We're doing it ourselves. I mean, it's really amazing to think about how in Western Christianity, you don't see this in any other part of the world, except maybe Western Europe. It already happened there. In fact, if you go to Western Europe, you're going to find that most of the churches are actually museums now. But it's amazing to me to think that in the Western church, 
It's amazing how quick we are to, to write off the church simply because we disagree. It's amazing to, to see how fast we will attack one another personally without handling our issues biblically and going to the people directly that we disagree with. You see, when we look at our text this morning, Paul is actually seeing the same thing. So in a passage that really in verses 12 through 14 has been known for straining and, and pressing onward, and so often people have, have preached this message of moving forward or keep moving forward. In fact, I think I did that several, uh, probably about a year ago on a Sunday night, I think I preached that same message, um, which is generally the focus of this particular passage. It's interesting to note how Paul now calls the church even further than that as we get beyond verse 14. You see, in the midst of the straining, in the midst of the pressing, Paul now urges the church to pursue Christian maturity. And so what we're going to be focusing ourselves on this morning is how we can grow in Christian maturity. So if you have your Bibles, and man, I hope you do, I would encourage you to, to join me in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. And once you have your place in the Bible and you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, Paul writing to the church in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had already to be able to to sing your word, to hear your word spoken, to pray your word. And Father, we pray now that in these next few moments, Lord, prepare our hearts to hear your word preached. God, whatever distraction that we may have, whatever posture we bring, whatever attitude we have coming in, Father, soften us in this moment. Prepare our hearts and our minds for your instruction according to the word. And Lord, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what it is that you are doing. 
Father, we thank you that you never take your eyes off of us. Father, we praise you that you call us to draw closer to you. Now, Father, we ask in these next few moments, help us to hear your truth according to your word. And may you move mightily. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could set the scene for you, church, I just want you to stay with me for a few minutes because I know you heard verses 12 through 14. And again, you probably thought, man, I got this one. Many of us probably actually have uh, those passages memorized. Many of us have probably found a, a moniker or a simple phrase on how to remember these passages. So do me a favor, if you would, uh, over the next few minutes, please, please, please do not tune uh, me out because you think you've got all of this one. Because the reality is, once you get beyond verse 14, there is literally more to this story. And there's more for us to understand about these verses in light of what Paul is teaching us. So as we look particularly at this passage, I want us to understand that Paul is using an intense training or an intense running analogy to describe the Christian life. You see, Paul's already shared with us that his passion is to know Christ. And as we get into this passage, Paul tells the church that coming to Christ is good and right, but that's not where the story ends for the Christian. You see, Paul in this passage is literally telling us, look, when you come to faith, that is a good and right and beautiful thing. In fact, Paul says, I have come to faith. But here's the reality about my faith. I am not stagnant now. I am not stale at this point. In fact, Paul says that even though I'm imprisoned, I am not slowing down. Rather, I am still running hard after Jesus Christ. And Paul literally says, and you should too, Christian. You see, what we have in our text this morning is are some very strong words from Paul, but at the same time, Paul's going to provide really what can best be described as an inspiring and instructive path for growing in maturity as a Christian. So as we're going to read this passage, we're literally going to see five steps that Paul gives the church to grow in maturity. So let's look at these together. Step number one we see in verses 12 through 13. Paul teaches us that in order to grow in maturity, we have to recognize that you have not arrived yet. You see, Paul here opens with a negative statement to correct any misunderstanding that the church may have regarding maturity. You see, false teachers have come now to the church at Philippi and they've adopted almost a perfectionist standpoint for the spiritual life. And so Paul opens by saying, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. You see, by Paul's own admission, the leader of the church at Philippi, the, the hero who helped plant that church, the man who now finds himself in prison in Rome all of a sudden tells the church that he himself has not yet arrived. In other words, Paul tells us that he's not perfect. In fact, that's why Paul says that he is pressing on and, and straining forward. You see, Paul is pressing forward and longing for the day in glory where he will be perfected. So here's the truth for us this morning as Christians. Mature people, let me rephrase that. Mature Christians will humbly acknowledge that they have not arrived. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. 
Paul teaches us that the gospel itself has a humbling effect on the Christian. Paul, at this point, wants the church to know that perfectionism or legalism, if you will, will not save you. In fact, even as you come to Christ, it, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're more superior than the people around you. Rather, what Paul does in this moment is he calls the church to keep pressing or keep running forward as they continue to grow and mature in their faith. You see, as a Christian growing in maturity, that Christian recognizes maturity is not about being superior over others. It is not about being seen as the ultimate leader within the church. Rather, maturity in faith is about following Jesus Christ, growing in Christ-likeness, and becoming more like Christ each and every day. So what happens when we mature as a Christian? What happens when we mature in Christ? Well, here's the reality. We grow less critical of the church. We use our words to edify. We grow less self-righteous. We, we become quicker to identify grace in all situations. And our love for our Savior continues to grow. And so with it, our desire to worship and our desire to serve. You see, as a Christian, coming to faith does not mean that we have arrived by any stretch of the imagination. Rather, we recognize our need to continue to mature in every aspect of our life. That leads us to step number two that Paul teaches us. Paul teaches that growing in Christian maturity should cause us to continue to pursue a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, we see this in verses 12 through 14. Now, I want to be careful here, okay? Because the reality is a lot of people don't get past step one. We, we struggle with step one. We struggle with the fact that we haven't arrived yet, and so we begin to think that because we haven't arrived yet, maybe we are never going to get there. So be careful. Don't despair there as a Christian. Don't, don't all of a sudden give up and become complacent thinking that you can never grow. You see, Paul teaches that the first step should ultimately lead us to a passion to grow in our knowledge. Look with me at verse 12 again. Paul says, but I press on to make it my own. Skip down to verse 13 and hear what he says when he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And then notice how it all culminates in verse 14 with the simple phrase, three words, I press on. Do you hear what Paul is saying in these three verses? He's saying to us, look, as a Christian, we're not called to be in cruise control. As a Christian, we're not called to, to simply loaf around. As a Christian, we're not, we're not called to simply soak in the water. No, as a believer in Christ, we are called to continue to run and run hard. And here's the reality. By this point in Paul's journey, we know exactly what Paul is pursuing. Paul wants to know Christ more 
and more. And in knowing Christ more, Paul tells us that as we know him more, we will become more like him. So you see, growing in maturity takes passion. Growing in maturity takes discipline. So Paul here is telling the church that we really need to lay aside everything that doesn't help us run and rather fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ. But again, I want you to notice what he says in verse 13. Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. You see, as a maturing Christian this morning, we can't continue to look over our shoulder anymore. Paul tells us that what's in the past is in the past. And it's time to move forward. Now, what does that mean for us today? It simply means that we cannot allow past achievements or past failures to prevent us from keeping our gaze fixed upon the finish that is coming. Now, I don't know where you're at in your walk this morning, but maybe you need to hear what it is I'm about to say. So everybody, just focus in on my next words, okay? Your past does not have to determine your future. I'm gonna say that again. Your past does not have to determine your future. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is greater and more powerful than your past. I want you to go ahead and know this about every Christian in this room. Every one of us has failed. Every one of us has failed God at some point in our life. And dare I say, every one of us has failed God at some point this week. In fact, the only person who didn't fail God was the man that we know as Jesus Christ. He is the only one who is perfect. You see, as a Christian this morning... When it comes to our past failures, we need to learn to deal with our sin. We need to learn to seek forgiveness and make the wrongs right. And then like Paul teaches us, we got to press on. We got to forget about it. We got to keep moving forward. So when Satan tries to remind you of your past, Paul says, run to Jesus Christ. Seek knowledge in Christ and then press harder into Christ. But I want you to notice something about Paul. Paul's not just speaking about our past failures, but notice that Paul is also talking to us about our past achievements. Now here is my growing concern for us today as a Western church. You see, when it comes to our past as a church, let's celebrate what it is that God has done, but let's not stop there. Let's celebrate what God has done in our history, but let's not lose sight of what God is doing. Rather, we are called by God to continue moving forward. You see, here's the truth for us this morning. Clinging to past successes, clinging to the glory days can create an unhealthy tendency to remain in the past and therefore miss what God is doing in the present. It is good and right to celebrate the past. 
Because in the past, we've seen where God has worked, which should encourage us to know that what God did then, he can do today. And that's where our focus needs to be. You know, sometimes I get concerned with the church because, man, we often focus on the glory days of the church and what was. And we often miss what God is doing in the present. I'm going to tell you what this reminds me of, okay? And, and maybe you can track with me on this one if, if you know somebody who's been this way. This kind of reminds me of, a, of that 30- or 40-year-old who's still living in their hometown, that 30- or 40-year-old who, who lives in their hometown and they still hang out at their, at their high school and they still show up at their high school wearing their high school letterman jacket. You know what I'm talking about? Did anybody ever know that guy? I knew that guy. I'm ashamed to tell you I knew that guy. Thank God that guy was not me. Thank God we're not friends on Facebook either, but I knew that guy. This guy literally just hung around in order to be acknowledged, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I met with him and I talked to him and I gave him the most gracious biblical words that I could ever give someone. I looked him dead in the eye and I said, move on, bro. Those days are over. Move on with life. Church, I got to tell you, if we're not careful, our former victories can create a relaxed and self-satisfying view of the present. And we can never be satisfied. If we become too relaxed, if we become too self-satisfied, then this can cause us to become lazy. This can all of a sudden be cause us to become critical of what God is now doing in the life of our church. Now, every day brings new challenges and we must be ready for that day. It's like one of, my, one of my favorite football coaches used to tell us um, as a coach, speaking to the coach, speaking to the players, he said this to us. He said, hey, we won today. So let's celebrate that victory this weekend because I want you to know a new game comes on Monday. A new season starts on Monday. Even when we won the state championship, our coach said, hey, boys, enjoy it tonight. It's like a Friday night. And then this is what he said to us. He said, because come Saturday morning, the new season starts. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, every time I watch a game, every time I watch sports, even when I watch championship games, that's the first thing I think about. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this week has been one of the greatest weeks in the life of an Atlanta sports fan, okay? Some of you guys were judging me on social media this week, wondering if the pastor was going to mention it. You're doggone right I am. My Atlanta Braves won the World Series. I have never, right, I have never been more excited now, some of you people aren't baseball folks. You don't know. It was the most stressful thing I've ever watched. We were still up seven to nothing. Uh, Corey was texting me. Uh, somebody else was texting me. I forgot who it was. I think it was Ted. And they were like, hey, you got it at hand. Congratulations. I'm like, uh-uh, this is Atlanta sports. We are known for blowing things. This is just what we do. And so I'm going to tell you, I woke up my whole house cheering. But like everything else, my first thought was, once this game is over and we've won the World Series... The next season starts the next day. But I got to be honest with you, as a fan, I'm going to celebrate this one a little bit longer. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it is Sunday, November 7th, and the Braves are still world champions. That feels good. I don't get to say that much. I'm going to ride that out for a little while. Moving on from there, coming back to our text. Paul says this phrase in verse 13. He says, but one thing I do. I want to pause there. It's kind of an awkward place to pause in a text, but man, I got to tell you, I love this phrase. 
Because when you read this phrase in its original language, Paul is really beginning to set up what it is that he's passionately pursuing. Paul tells us that he is passionately pursuing one thing. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think we need more one thing Christians. Because you see, for Paul, that one thing was a greater knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul tells us that he wanted more of Jesus. So we got to ask ourselves this morning, do we want more of Jesus? Do we want more knowledge of Jesus Christ? Man, I've heard a lot of people in recent days, uh, both locally and over media platforms that I've been a part of, I've heard a lot of people making fun of knowledge in Jesus Christ. But I got to tell you something for those folks. I've heard a lot of people saying, uh, making fun of knowledge without action. And I'm going to tell you, they got, they got a point. But again, hear my message for you. You can't have appropriate biblical action without knowledge. Stop separating the two. They actually go together. They were meant to work together. You want to take biblical action? You better build up your biblical knowledge. Now for the flip side of that coin, if all you think you need is biblical knowledge, you better put some of that knowledge to use and get to acting. It's a both and deal. So some may ask this morning, hey, I want to grow in knowledge. How do I do that? I want to tell you, it's really easy when you think about it. A lot of us commute all over this town. I don't know about you, but I can't get anywhere in Brandon now without at least taking 10 to 12 minutes. So what I would say to you is this, redeem your commute time. Use that time as an opportunity to to listen to scripture. Use that downtime as an opportunity to listen to maybe a good podcast or or some good worship. And and again, please hear my heart on this, okay? Um, When I say good worship, I'm not talking about the Joy FM. Okay, I'm not talking about that radio station, all right? Now, I'm not saying the Joy FM is bad. Don't hear that, okay? What they play is contemporary Christian music, and not all of it is meant for worship. I haven't listened to the Joy FM yet, but I'm confident they probably already started Christmas music, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you not all Christmas songs are worship songs. So find yourself some good worship music. If you need some recommendations, I'll put the whole worship team in front of you, man. They'll load you up, I promise. They send me stuff every week, and I love it. Maybe you need to redeem some time to listen to some good sermons. I would encourage you to do that. Find some other pastors and some other preachers to listen to. Maybe somebody like like John Piper or or a contemporary like Matt Chandler, or maybe you need to go old school, somebody more like R.C. Sproul, or maybe you should listen to Johnny Harvey. I mean, they're all good. I'm kidding about that, by the way. That was a shameless plug, and don't, don't take that the wrong way, please. Maybe you have too much time on your hands, and so you find yourself in front of your television. Can I encourage you to take some time to, to pick up your Bible and read? Find a Bible reading plan and jump on it and do it. Maybe you're an audiobook person. Find an audiobook and listen to it. Maybe, maybe you haven't read a book in a while. May I encourage you to pick up a book and read? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we've got several in our foyer right now that are awesome, okay? Now, many of you folks don't know this about me, but I was almost a double major in college in communications and comparative literature. So I know the difference between a good book and a bad book. And I promise you, I'm not going to put a bad book in your hands. We are not going to do that as a staff. We are not going to do that as elders. So if we recommend a book, I promise you, we've read it several times and it is good. So pick one up and read. 
You see, the reality is this. We need to be like Paul. And Paul was not satisfied with his knowledge. Paul wanted to know more. So what about us this morning? Do we want to grow in our knowledge of Christ? Do we want to know more? That's a question that we have to ask for ourselves. Moving on from there, in the step number three that Paul gives us in growing in maturity, he says this, in order to grow in Christian maturity, we have to maintain an awe of the gospel. And we see this in verses 12 through 14. You see, Paul was in awe of the goodness of the gospel. He says in verse 12, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then again in verse 14, he says the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now notice this about Paul. You see, like Paul, we got to recognize this morning that growing in maturity involves going deeper in the gospel and never going beyond the gospel. You see, Paul was in all that Jesus had now taken hold of his life. Paul recognized that he didn't deserve it, but rather it was all an act of grace. And I want you to know this morning, that's our story as well as Christians. We didn't deserve God, but rather by his grace, he revealed himself to us. And so we have now been taken hold of by Christ Jesus because of the grace of God. You see, Paul here acknowledges that because Jesus Christ has now taken hold of us, we should make every effort to know more of him. You see, the fact that we can even know Jesus is an act of grace according to the gospel. Again, I want you to remember the gospel this morning. The gospel tells us that we have been delivered from death and destruction because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, it's by God's grace that we are now able to embrace our glorious and gracious Savior. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, do we recognize what the gospel has done for us? Or are we simply going through the motions, hoping for a Hail Mary. You see, here's our truth this morning. Man, if we were in awe of the gospel, then again, we'd, we'd probably spend less time complaining. We'd probably spend more time in worship, more time in prayer, more time in service through the local church. I'm going I'm to pick up the pace now a little bit. We're going to move on to step number four if we can. Step number four in growing in maturity, we find in verses 15 through 19. Paul teaches us here that growing in Christian maturity should lead us to follow Christ-centered examples. Now stay with me on this one because here's a simple truth we need to understand this morning. Whether you want to admit this or not, we all follow someone. So who you follow and who you hang out with actually does matter. Now, when, now, I'm not saying this morning that you should eliminate all your non-Christian friends and, and when you pick up the yellow pages, only pick up the Christian version of that. I'm not talking about that, okay? We need to be in the world, but not of the world. But rather, in our other time, we should be hanging out with godly examples so that they can help encourage and edify us to grow. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according 
to the example that you have in us. Notice that Paul again comes back to this theme of imitation that we've already seen throughout the letter to the Philippians. We saw this back when he talked about himself in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. He did it again when, you remember, he talked about our friend Timothy and our boy Epaphroditus that we ended up having the name because his name was too long for Scantron back in chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. He does it again when he talks about Jesus in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, which, oh, by the way, is the, that's that Christ hymn that we read every Sunday. That's that passage. And now here we come to verse 17, and even before that, in verse 16, Paul starts by calling us to hold true to what it is that we have attained. Well, what is that? We've attained Jesus. And so because we've now attained Jesus, we now get to verse 17, where Paul calls us to pursue with our lives the example that is set before us by Jesus Christ. Which then leads Paul to say and to call the church to seek out faithful examples of those who live out the values of a Christian according to the word. Again, if you go back and read our previous verses in Philippians, you see that what who those examples are. You see that these examples are are ones who put the needs of others ahead of their own. They don't don't grumble, nor do they complain. They handle their issues biblically. They pour into others' lives for the purpose of the gospel. They illustrate sound teaching according to the word of God, and they have a love and a desire to serve the local church and to go on mission through the local church, all for the glory of God. Paul teaches us that we too need examples to follow. Now again, I want you to hear this because Paul's not talking about people who simply talk the talk. He's talking about people whose words are now backed up by their actions. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about here. You want to know how to have a healthy marriage? Then go follow a couple who exhibits a godly marriage. You want to know how to do evangelism? Don't just sit around with people who talk about doing evangelism. Go out with people who faithfully share the gospel each and every week. You want to know how to grow in prayer? Then meet with people who have a passion for prayer and spend time doing it daily. You want to know how to be a better giver? You want to know how to show neighborly love? You want to know better ways to study the word of God? Then read. Seek out the people who are actively doing those things. Not just talking about them, but doing them and learn from them. You see, as God's people, we should both imitate godly examples, but at the same time, we should aspire to be godly examples ourselves. You see here at Southside, as as members of the local church. All of us bear the weight and the responsibility of setting an example. You don't need a position. You don't need a a title to be an influence on someone else's life. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, what example are we setting by our presence? And then I'm going to take it a step further. What example are we setting by our absence? 
Because here's the reality, man. COVID has messed up our world. And by our world, I don't mean our country. Different issue. Ain't got time for that. I'm talking about our churches. All of us have too many people today who are sitting at home. And we know they need to be here. We know they need to be a part of the local church. And so we need to ask, hey, what example are you setting as a member if you are not present? You see, as one seeking to be a godly example, we need to pass along the heart and the passion of what it means to follow Jesus. It needs to be something that we can imitate and also something that others can watch and learn from us as well. Sadly, we get into verses 18 and 19 at this point, and Paul tells us that there are going to be some who walk as enemies of the cross. Now, I want to tell you that these people that Paul's talking about, he's not talking about non-Christians here. He's not talking about atheists. He's not talking about agnostics. He's not talking about people of other religions. Rather, the people that Paul is referring to here are the people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but in reality, they walk in opposition of the gospel. They are Christian leaders, if you will, but their cross-bearing example is missing from their lives. They boast in their own works, and they don't boast in that of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says of them in verse 19, he says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, Paul warns us that there are those within our churches who seek to serve themselves. They seek their own glory. They seek to fill their lustful appetites. And so their word becomes the law. They seek to please themselves and to elevate themselves in the life of others. They enjoy and celebrate the things that offends God and therefore should be avoided by the church. And sadly, many of us know these people because they are all around us today. So Paul says, look, don't be like these people. Paul teaches us, get your eyes off the ground. Focus your vision on scripture and submit your life to God according to the word. Now again, pay attention here because Paul calls out a group of people within the church, but he doesn't call for their excommunication or their destruction at this moment. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, if this were up to me, and I was Paul, and I was sitting in Paul's position, and I knew these people were in the church, I'm going to call them out, and then I'm probably going to say, and remove them. I mean, these don't sound like fun people to hang out with, does it? I mean, all of a sudden, historically, the Inquisition's coming back to mind. How quickly can we remove people? Does anybody, have that? Does anybody know that Spanish Inquisition song? No? Maybe it's just me? Okay. It's kind of snappy if you've never heard it. But anyway, we'll talk about that another day. That's not at all what Paul says here, though. Paul says in verse 18, notice this. He says, for many. Notice he didn't say few, by the way. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. You see, Paul grieved for these people. 
Paul prayed for these people. As Christians, this should grieve us as well. It should lead us to pray for these people. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Maybe unpack it a little bit further. Man, you know someone who's, who's complaining about the church, someone who's complaining about leadership, someone who's spreading gossip and conversation. Man, that should grieve you. It grieves me. And ultimately, it should lead us to pray for them. Again, when we think about the people who are missing right now, does it grieve us? Do we pray for them? Are we calling them and saying, brother, sister, man, we miss you. And we want you to know we are praying for you. Why would we do that? Because Paul teaches us that, man, they're not living out the example set by Jesus Christ. They're not setting a godly example that others should follow. So Paul reminds us again, who we follow matters. So if you're going to follow anyone, follow those who have a living example of what it means to follow Jesus with passion. That leads us to step five that we see in verses 20 through 21 in growing in Christian maturity. Paul teaches us that in order to grow in Christian maturity, we need to remember where our home is. You see, notice Paul closes this passage by reminding the church that our citizenship is in heaven. So as we grow in maturity, we recognize that this world is not our home. We belong to another kingdom, right? I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind when I hear that phrase, I think of Andrew Peterson, and I think of that song, Far Country. Particularly the line, this is a far country, a far country, not my home. Why was this so important for Paul? Because again, you have to remember who and what the town of Philippi really is. Philippi was a Roman colony. In fact, Philippi was called a little Rome. Most people describe Philippi as that place. When you went to it, you felt like you were in Rome. And so Paul reminds the church that they are not a little Rome, but rather they are a little colony of the kingdom of God. So their lives and their actions should point people to heaven. You see, when it comes to our church here at Southside, we are, we are not just a, a part of a, of a kingdom that is the United States. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And so in what we do, we should be reminding people of that. So when people see our church, they should see a faith family that is, that is caring for the vulnerable, that is, that is caring for the orphans, that is doing all that is good and right and true according to the word of God. They are faithfully giving and uh, serving. They are speaking words of edification and encouragement to one another. They are showing no partiality, outdoing one another, and showing honor and love to each other. They do not show or boast in racism, but rather they put their needs or puts the needs of others of head of their own. You see, that's what we do as a small part of the kingdom of God because it's what the word of God commands us to do. You see, when we do these things, we begin to show people a small glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. 
However, in order to do these things, man, we got to stop as a Western church. We got to stop bickering with one another. We got to stop the infighting. We got to stop the gossip. We got to stop walking out of our church on a Sunday morning complaining about everything we didn't like. And we got to start learning to be together. You know, it's interesting. I had one of my nieces in college. She's reading the book Mere Christianity. And so we were having a conversation about it not so long ago. And so I picked the book back up and, and read it. I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. If you've not read Mere Christianity, you should. Um, if you have read it, read it again. Um, it's wonderful. Mary Ellen's smiling at me. She knows exactly what that's all about. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. You see, when we go through trials, when we go through heartache, when we go through changes, when we go through stresses of life, we need to remember that this world is not our home. In fact, Paul says it himself in the text. He says, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul tells us to wait and to welcome the arrival of King Jesus. And in order to do this, we must now live in the light of his arrival. And then I love it because we get to verse 21 and Paul really gives us the best news. He says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I got to tell you as a Christian, this should be the most encouraging news to us this morning. You see, this world is as bad as it ever will be, but it's going to get better. It's going to get better because the kingdom of God awaits. How do we know this? Paul answers it. He answers by saying, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. If Jesus can subject everything to him, I mean, do you realize that? Like Jesus can, can subject everything to his will, then surely by the grace of God, he can transform us too. And here's the reality. He has, he can, he will, and he does. He does uphold us. Man, a better home awaits. Are we living with that in mind? A better home awaits us. Are we ready for it? You see, as Christians this morning, I hope we realize our work is far from over. There is more to be done. Our church, our community needs us to reflect the good news of who Jesus is. And so the question is this, how are we doing this morning? Our, our goal as Christians should be to continue to run forward, to continue to run hard with intensity and to follow the steps that Paul gives us for growing in maturity. And then as we continue to strain and to press, 
I want you to be reminded of God's promise to the faithful. Paul tells us that we won't regret having made the effort to know Jesus more. We won't regret knowing him more and more in this life, becoming more like him and making him known. So church, let's keep growing. Let's let's keep running because every day we are getting closer. And one day we are gonna see him fully. And man, what a day that is gonna be. Our day is coming. Keep running. The finish line is in sight. Let's pray together.